it's an honor and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and be before starting the presentation, um, I would like to say that you represent a very broad spectrum of students from very different courses and programs. Um, I come from a department which is um, as wide, if not wider, than the broad spectrum of your... Um, do I have to use this one? Yes, because this one, the better one. Sorry. Okay. The ice cream, we call it in Italy. Um, uh, so, talking to you uh, with an ice cream in my hand. Um, have you heard what I said before? Good. Um, so, basically, it's, uh, what I was saying is that um, the presentation that I'm giving to you is um, also in, um, um, covering a lot of issues. So, please feel free to ask questions and um, you can also interrupt me and ask me questions. It's not necessary that I end my presentation for you to have your doubts solved. So, feel free to raise your hand um, and ask uh, questions because there there are a lot of issues that I'm trying to cover and very important uh, I've worked on Torino for a, um, a long time this means that I'm a bit bored of uh, dealing with Torino um, and this can be translated into uh, the fact that I may uh, think that some things are already known or that some concepts are already known and so I may skip them again uh, ask for clarification when needed and if needed um, what else on my side nothing else let's start from uh, for the presentation um, uh, thanks uh, Jakub for uh, preparing the first slide uh, that was perfect. I was trying to prepare the first slide with the title, etc. I said, that's perfect. I'm going to use it. Um, you have my name, you have the title. And also the title is, uh, um, we decided for this title because, uh, as I told you, uh, I've studied Torino for a lot of time. I live in Torino. I lived in Torino for 28 years. Um, so that's my city. And um, one of the things that you learn when you come from a post-industrial city is that you don't want your city to be called anymore a post-industrial city. Because post means after. And if you are still in the after, in 10 or 20 years, there's a problem. You cannot just be post all the time. Um, so that's why uh, I decided for a, for a title that would help me to go from the idea of one company town, in the case of Torino, to open for business. But I would say that this movement from one company town or OCT to OFB, it's not that smooth. Um, so maybe we're not post anymore, but we don't know what we are now, still. Let's dive into the contents. Um, so my presentation will be on spatial strategies in Torino, on land use plans, urban projects and metropolitan visions. Basically 25 years of planning in what is now a shrinking city. Um, I will not go too much into defining what's a shrinking city, but I, I think you can be familiar with the concept of uh, what a shrinking city is. If not, again, ask me. Um, 
and I will give you some hints on uh, how Torino is uh, shrinking. Uh, why this content? Because I said if I have to present Torino, which is a city that some of you may know, some many of you may not know, um, the best thing to do is to talk about the materiality, the physicality of Torino, and how it changed spatially. Because of course, the way things, the way cities change spatially is influenced by many other factors. But the easiest way we in which we experience a city is by looking at the city, walking on in a city, and um, having a direct contact with the materiality of the city. So that's why I wanted to um, talk about Torino and the physical transformation of the city. But of course, I'm a geographer. And even if not, uh, I'm not a um, um, physical geographer, still, I am a geographer, so I want to start with a bit of geography on Torino. With a picture. That's a nice picture, of course. Um, but it's also a very interesting picture for me because it helps me to tell you that Torino is basically a city that uh, basically is on a flat surface, but surrounded by the mountains on three sides, one side very close to the city, and the fourth side is the hillside. So it's a flat city, not so flat actually, but it's uh, surrounded by um, a diverse morphology, which is relevant for the story of Torino, not only because you may like it when you see the mountains, of course, when there is, the sky is not too polluted or the weather is fine, um, but also because it has to do a lot with the way Torino was able to rethink to the image of the city, the fact that you have some surroundings you can lean on in your strategy, in your rethinking strategy. Um, a more conventional view of Torino. So we are at the border of the Western Alps uh, of Italy. Actually, we're closer to France than to Milano. Um, and you can see in red the urbanized area of the region in which Torino is. And the biggest stain is Torino, almost in the center of um, this map. And I just realized that I, I haven't chose the green, white and red on purpose. But still, these are the colors of the national flag. Um, Torino is also very close to Milano in terms of high-speed train, 45 minutes. We are starting to have significant amounts of commuting uh, of people working in Milano and living in Torino. Torino is much cheaper than Milano to live. Uh, we are three hours and 50 minutes from Rome. Another interesting um, timing because um, ma many people to travel to Rome, they don't take the, the plane, but they go with the train. It's easier. And also, it's uh, quite common that if you want to have a weekend, you go to Paris with the train, because it's close also to Paris. Five hours and uh, three um, and um, 30 minutes by train to Paris. So it's um, eccentric position in terms of Italy, of course, because we are close to the western borders, northwestern borders of the country. Um, but it's quite in a good position in terms of connections with other cities. Um, and of course, fashionable cities. Um, I could have chosen other cities, but I chose Milan and Paris, of course. Um, 
that's it with geography. I told you it was a bit of geography, but it needs to be said, and a bit of history. Um, again, because this is relevant, as the geographical set setting of Torino is crucial to understand the post-industrial evolution of the city, also the history is crucial to understand the post-industrial revolution uh, or evolution of the city. Um, Torino is a Roman, was a Roman settlement, a uh, military settlement of the Roman Empire in the northwest part of Italy. Um, and in this map, actually, what you can see is uh, the historic uh, center of Torino, which is at the center of the image you can see. Um, a series of axes and some things that lies outside of the historic center of the city. Those things lie, lying outside the historic center of the city are royal palaces, hunting lodge for the king and queens and royal palaces. So it was a capital, it was a um, duchy before and then a kingdom, it was the first capital of Italy. And again, this is something important. I mean, Torino's history, that's the message here, the main message. Torino's history hasn't started with fiat, which is something that also people from Torino had to learn back. Because when you are a heavily industrial city, it seems that all your past lies in the relations that you had with your main industry and with the industrial past. Hmm? Um, another interesting uh, thing from this slide is that you can see there are four rivers that cross uh, the city. Um, two main rivers and two smaller rivers, but still there are four rivers. So it's not a city without any uh, water landscape. This is more or less the center of Torino, and in the center of Torino you can see the image of the almond that was the old city, uh, with the walls that does not exist anymore, of course. Um, for centuries the city has grown within those walls, and then uh, it, uh, of course, expanded outside the walls, even because the walls were uh, taken down after um, Napoleon's period, etc., etc., as in many other cities uh, all over Europe. But this is more or less the dimension of the historic part of the city and what's outside that white line of the walls, it's um, more or less what has been built in the 19th century and onwards. This is just um, a mix of um, aerial view of the city, a satellite view of the city, plus the, um, all the royal palaces that are around the city and within the city. Um, and you have to think that some of those palaces are just ruins, they don't exist anymore. Some of them are what you expect as a royal palace should be, you know, fancy places with parks and gardens. Some others, they have been used in very different ways during the centuries, so they are not what you expect them to be now. But still, there's a built heritage which was uh, quite consistent uh, around the city and within the city, um, even if it was an industrial uh, city or the industrial capital of the country. Just a, um, a quick um, um, way to show you the the way the city changed in time. This is the urban development of the Baroque city that is within the walls, again with all the royal palaces. This is at the end of the 19th century, so yes, outside the walls, but not that changed. 
from the previous slide. This is in the 50s, full industrialization period, uh, 50s of the past century. And this is in the 80s of the past century. So it's, I would say, the peak of the industrialization and the starting phase of the decline. This is the image that we associate even in Torino mostly with, well, not exactly this one, but this idea of Torino is the idea that we associate with um, the one company town. So we go into what is um, the definition of one company town in Torino. I suppose you're familiar with it. It's a common way of saying when there is a city that has been um, heavily dependent on one industry, on one uh, specific enterprise, it's called or one sector, it's a one company town. There are multiple examples in uh, all over the world and usually the, the examples that um, have been paired with Torino, uh, actually there is one example, it's Detroit uh, in the United States. Um, and I would say that Torino and Detroit are really different, completely different, um, but still they are considered as examples of one company town. Actually, in Detroit, they had more companies. In Torino, it's literally one company town. It's the Fiat car factory. Um, so the fact that the city has been described and the city has been written about, considering Torino as one company town, is because really for, a, I would say, some decades, the city was uh, actually the playground of the Fiat car factory in many, many ways. The Fiat itself was established at the end of the 19th century. Fiat stands for uh, Italian Automobile Factory of Torino, or as the British says, fix it again, Tony. But that's a bad way of understanding what Fiat is. Um, here in the image, you can see one of the largest factory of the Fiat. The Fiat, uh, being a one company town in Torino, you have to think that uh, the same company owned different factories, large factories in the city. Uh, so different production sites. And also there was a system of suppliers of other enterprises that were working mainly, if not only for the Fiat. So the whole economic system was all around the car factory. This is one of the most famous factories of the um, Fiat. It's called the Lingotto, which actually, I don't know the English translation of the Lingotto. It's the gold shape of, how it is in English, the Lingotto? The, 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 when you store your gold in the bank, as everybody does, usually it has a shape, um, and it's called the Lingotto in Italian, and this is the name of the factory. I don't know the English word for the Lingotto. I should have checked. Gold? Gold bar. Gold bar. Oh, it's much less poetic in English. Gold bar. Yes, it's, the translation is gold bar. Thank you. Um, and actually, it's a, a very interesting building because it represents physically the Fordist uh, factory because you have a factory that is organized. Um, each floor is a function. Raw materials to create the car entered at the ground floor. And while you go up in the factory, the, 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 um, the car was assembled and then tested on the roof. So it was meant just to produce the car, test the car, and then take out the car and sell it. Uh, it's half a kilometer long, the building. Um, and everything was really there. 
Another example of, uh, and this was actually not the first um, establishment um, of the fiat, uh, not the first uh, factory of fiat, um, of the fiat industry, it was actually the first big one. But fiat is also known for another big one, which is in this other slide, is uh, called Mirafiori, which is on the site, close to the site of a former royal palace. Um, and time sometimes is uh, ironic. Um, this is one of the biggest factories, I think, uh, in Italy and I would say in Europe in terms of uh, the amount of space that has been occupied. And it's quite close to the Lingotto, but still the Lingotto was not good enough in terms of uh, um, system of production to produce cars, so they keep, uh, kept to the Lingotto until the 80s uh, open in terms of a uh, factory, but most the majority of the production was in Mirafiori. Anyway, in 1951, Torino was the first Italian province in uh, GDA per capita in terms uh, at the national level. Um, but of course, this is the peak. And then, since the second half of the 20th century, there was a progressive decline of the importance of Torino in the Italian economy. Um, as you can see from the figures, uh, Torino has contributed a lot to the, as, as a single city, has contributed a, in a, a lot to the Italian total cross value added. Uh, but of course, this has declined. And of course, this figure is continuing to decline. Um, another interesting aspect is that even if Fiat and Torino are closely related, actually there was a bigger industrial system of cities Milano, Torino, and Genova, they were related. Uh, Milano with a much more diversified economy. Genova, totally dedicated to the port, um, since it's a port city, uh, and, and Torino. The, of course, Milano had a better um, uh, plan for a better future than Torino and Genova, because Torino and Genova were very and closely related to just one typology of production. In those years, of course, when you think of a typical Fordist city, uh, you have to think that the majority of the composition of the gross value added in Torino was because of the um, in industry sector, the secondary sector, and also the workforce was, um, uh, and we will see some figures later on that, was uh, working mostly on the industry sector. But of course, as many cities, it changed during the, the years towards uh, the tertiarization of the economy, and the same happened in Torino. Uh, I won't tell you if it was a high-scale tertiarization or a low-scale tertiarization, but you can imagine what kind of tertiarization it was for, a, for this city. But still, you can see that um, Torino was almost totally identifying, especially in the 50s and uh, through the 70s, with the, um, with the industry in terms of the value that was produced. As long as the industry started to decline, of course, the situation in Torino became quite complicated. So you can use these figures to, th to think that uh, the post linked to Torino as a city, so a post-industrial city, a post for this city, uh, can start to be added um, from the 70s uh, in the case of Torino, as in many cases in Western European countries. Employment, again some figures, I'm not big 
uh, figure guy, so don't expect to, to have a lot of uh, numbers and figures uh, from my side. This is because I'm a geographer. I usually blame geography on this, um, and especially an urban geographer. Um, so you can see the employees in Torino, in uh, the car industry, declining rapidly from uh, in the past um, decades. Um, the more or less same situation in terms of the um, textile industry, because there was also a textile industry in the turning area, um, smaller but still declining, and then the, the business and service sector, which had some up and downs. But then uh, the decline of industrial era, did, that is the decline of one enterprise in the case of Torino, uh, meant a lot of different things. Also because uh, we don't have to forget that um, if there was a problem with the car factory, there was a problem with the whole city. So the fact that the decline, there was a decline or a change in the car factory all over the world and thus of course, also in the national industries as the Fiat was, um, like the Renault in France or like the Volkswagen in Germany, there was basically national player. When it all started to become complicated for national players, uh, in terms of what happened to the city, there was the end of the one company town model, a high level of unemployment, and of course, a huge amount of brownfields uh, left in the city. Step back for a moment. Um, since the beginning, Torino has been the headquarter of the main Italian car company. There, there are, of course, other Italian car companies like Ferrari, for instance, but they are smaller. Uh, the biggest one, the Volkswagen of Italy, is certainly um, Fiat. Um, and the fact that the Fiat car factory started in Torino meant that the city had the dramatic changes in its population and its nature, I would say. Uh, in, uh, especially after the Second World War uh, ended, because the city started, um, increased almost double this population in very few years, in 10 years, because of the massive amount of population coming from, especially from the southern part of Italy and moving to Torino. This is a typical picture on your left side of uh, a typical day in the main station in Torino. Huge amount of people arriving in the city to work at Fiat not to search for work anywhere else but Fiat, or the suppliers that were working for Fiat. Every day, huge amount of people arriving in the city. So doubling the population and the city adapting to this change. How the city has adapted to this change? Um, the, the, the picture on your uh, right is um, the test um, road in uh, Mirafiori. So it's not anymore on the roof, it's uh, at the level of the street. Um, how the city adapted in terms of all these inhabitants arriving and doubling the population in 10 years? In two ways. Um, one way is actually that the Fiat car factory provided houses to the, to, the employer, to the employee. So they built basically from the ground, from the scratch, uh, entire neighborhoods, like in the Lingotto. The Lingotto as a neighborhood exists because Fiat started to build it. Not only the factory, but also the houses for um, people working in Fiat. And also many other parts of the city have been built thanks to Fiat. And of course, being this the post-war period, also the state was providing um, a huge amount of 
uh, houses for the um, uh, people working in the car factory. But the fact that um, the, 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 the car factory deciding where to put the factories meant that the city was following in where to put the houses. Hmm? So it's the car factory deciding how to shape the, the, the city. Um, interesting fact is that there were even postcards of the houses provided by Fiat to the employers. As we, these are for people working in offices, not in the factory per se. So these are nice houses, but they were postcards because it was a sign of wealth, of course, a city that was able to provide a house for the people going to work in the city. So it was common to send a postcard. This is the where I live. This is the Fiat house, etc., etc. the Fiat neighborhood uh, in the city. Um, this ability, capacity of the fiat to shape the, 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 fiat, um, the, um, the fiat to shape the city um, lasted until the 60s or the, I would say the 70s because then the fiat started to have uh, problems in terms of um, because of the globalization of the market. As I said, they were, these were basically national industries. They thrived on being within national markets. Once globalization started to um, hit, uh, and that's mainly in the 70s, also with the oil crisis, etc., etc., uh, all these national heavily subsidized industries started to um, suffer the competition of other players, also within the European Union. So Fiat, being one of the most subsidized companies in the country, and uh, I think in Europe, um, started to um, have problems um, as an industry. Um, it was what economic, economically can be called a dwarf at the global level as a factory, so it was suffering from it. But this happened in a situation in which at the local level was a giant. Well, at the national level was a giant, and certainly at the local level was a giant. In 1968-69, the only Fiat without the suppliers, so without all the other enterprises working for Fiat, employed um, 158,000 workers, meaning that we can say half of the population of Torino was depending on Fiat. So if this kind of actor, economic actor, uh, has a crisis, you can imagine what does it mean for the city. Uh, half of the city depending on that uh, actor. This is a, an image of the uh, strikes that were in Fiat uh, in the 70s. Um, numerous strikes uh, in the 70s for the Fiat car factory. And this is the main building that uh, front the Mirafiori factory, the one that I showed you a um, few slides ago. Of course, in the 70s, they started to have the crisis in, uh, in the company, in the Fiat, but it was just a series of crises for the, for the um, car factory. Um, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, it became quite clear that it was not possible to imagine that the future of Torino was also the future of the Fiat. There was no chance that uh, the municipality, for instance, could oblige Fiat to keep the factories there and to produce cars in Torino. It was too expensive. So, in order to compete, uh, the Fiat had to become global. 
Um, from 1980 to 1996, more than 100,000 jobs were lost in the automotive industry in Torino. Um, and in 2002, less than 30% of Fiat production was made in Torino. I would say that now that figure is like 5% if we arrive to have 5%. But there is still production of cars in Torino in the, and in the metropolitan area. This is a moment in which clearly Fiat has one path and the city has to have another path of development. What does Fiat do? Very strategically, they marry one, let's pretend that Fiat is a she, um, just because I'm thinking as a Fiat as a she. First, she married one man, then divorced, got a lot of money from that man, married another one, and now they live happily forever. Hmm? Uh, they, they married General Motors. General Motors uh, understood that Fiat was almost in bankruptcy. So to get rid of Fiat, they paid a huge amount of money. Fiat used that money to marry uh, Chrysler, which was almost in bankruptcy, but the Obama administration was saving Chrysler. So basically, they ended up very well, doing very well. It's a very funny way of telling the story, but this is the story. Hmm? Um, so this is the Fiat universe now. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the Fiat universe now. Um, Fiat is not Fiat anymore. It's called FCA, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. And actually, the future of the company, which is not the future, this is the, the present of the company, is that um, the main headquarter is not in Torino anymore, it's in the Netherlands for tax, taxation issues, of course. Um, the stock exchange uh, is not Milan anymore, where shares are sold and bought, it's London. So it's a global company, it's not an Italian company anymore. What is left in Torino is the um, uh, non-official headquarter. So the headquarters physically are in Torino and the research center is in Torino, still there. The production, as I told you before, still some production, still some problems, but still there are some factories producing cars in Torino, also Jeeps. This is for Fiat. We are very happy about that. We are very happy about the story of Fiat. But uh, I would say that if the future of Fiat is clearer, I don't know how clear is the future of the city without uh, Fiat, the Fiat company. So if a company finds way to succeed and be global, etc., etc., how can a city become global in a globalization time? How does it work for a city? We have seen how does it work for a company in a good case, but how does it work for Torino? What was left of this uh, long, long marriage between Fiat and still marriage? I'm using the, this metaphor again between Fiat and the city. Um, you can imagine what was left, but let's see some. Um, let's go into details and I'm thinking of this as a downsizing process. I'm not using this um, interpretation key anymore in the following slides, but still for me, we have to think of a downsizing process of the city, like a physical downsizing of the city, when um, the Fordist era, era came to an end and we enter into the famous post-Fordist or post-industrial 
um, city, uh, we can imagine this as um, a downsizing process. So something that was bigger and then suddenly becomes smaller. That's why I used also the term shrinking at the beginning of uh, this talk. The first thing that you can imagine was left by the Fordist era is our brownfields. Hmm? In 1989, so well into the end of the Fordist era, well, we are into the post-Fordist, post-industrial era, the city had 10 million square meters of brownfield sites. This is a disputed, highly disputed figure because sometimes you can find 5 million, sometimes you can find 14 million square meters, a lot. Hmm? Not in terms in... If you think about how many uh, square meters are in the whole city, it's less than 10% still of the city, less than, I would say less than 5% of the city, of the total surface of the city. But still, think about in terms of what you can do with brownfield sites, heavily polluted sites, empty buildings in, on the sites, etc., etc. Still, you have to manage 10 million square meters of problems. Hmm? Um, this picture comes from a study that was done in 1993, as you can see, um, that was mapping uh, the consistency of the brownfield uh, sites within the city. This is, these are the city boundaries. This is the shape of the municipality of Torino. Um, the big white empty blank part on the, on the right is the hillside of Torino. That's why there's almost no uh, factories there. And so you can see that you have concentration of brownfields in specific areas, and those areas you will see that are also close, well, quite understandably, close to um, rail infrastructures. Hmm? So we have... Um, can you see the pointer? Yeah? Okay. So this is basically the city center. This is the hillside I was talking to you about before. This is the city center. So you can see that the brownfields are actually just around the city center. And a lot of this, those 10 million square meters are around the city center. If we can look at a different way of representing the same situation, but this is a metropolitan view, uh, you can see that uh, this uh, uh, is uh, the um, what is represented here are the industrial areas in the 1960s and 80s. So dismissed area, brownfields, and not brownfields. Also some working, still working areas. But you can see a lot of um, uh, areas around the city and many inside the city. The fact is that the majority of the brownfield were within the city and close to the city center. Another way of looking at this um, and here you can actually see the, 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 um, the relationship between those areas and the railways. This is the these are the lines of the railway system in the city center that all goes totally into the city center and goes along the city center. So this is the uh, Baroque city. And in red you can see what are called the Zoot urban transformation zones that basically are brownfields. So huge amount of brownfields, very close to the city center. Torino is not, if you've been to Torino, how many of you knows Torino? 
of course you've been just one person. You've never been there. You should. Um, well, maybe not by looking at the things that I'm showing you, but wait, there's more. Just remember the first slide, not the first, the second slide, the one with the hills and the mountain. That's good. Um, so you can see that the red gives you an idea, although don't pay attention to the, to the green, it's less important now, but the red gives you an idea of what is the whole uh, issue of having so many brownfields uh, close to the city center and within the urban fabric anyway. This is not in the periphery, this is not outside, 10 kilometers away from the city, this is within walking distance from the city center. And in these red areas you have huge factories as Mirafiori, that were uh, sites of production with thousands of workers working in, in this factory. And now what is left of this factory, if you Google Mirafiori, it points you to just one part of the building, which is where actually there is the production of the cars, but the rest is empty. There's nothing there, just empty buildings. Um, there, um, there is also, there has been, um, uh, it has been created a society to manage these buildings, to, do, to understand what to do with these buildings, but they don't have enough money, not even to solve the problem of the pollution, because red is a very appropriate color. Most of these areas are red problems in the city because of the production side, they were production sites. So you cannot just think of um, reuse them with any kind of use. If you want to use them to build something on them, if you have the money to tear down the buildings, you have to have money to get rid of the, uh, of, um, of the things that were there before, you can build something that's the best solution in terms of environmentally friendly solution because you can close that soil forever. But if you want to have other uses, like you want to create a square or, God forbid, a park, it's very complicated. You cannot easily do that. It's very expensive. Um, so this is just one example of Mirafiori. Most of it, you can think about 90% of the surface you're looking at of the factory is empty. We don't know what to do with that. The, rest, the remaining 10% is a factory and the Politecnico as the design uh, faculty there. They are very happy to be there. Um, but the fact is that those, sorry if I go quickly back, these are uh, issues at the municipality level. We are thinking only of Torino, but if we move to the real city actually, because there, are no, there is no difference between Torino, which is at the city center and what surrounds Torino, we see that the same problem is quite big also in surrounding municipalities. So it's a problem not just of the city, it's a problem of the whole urban region. This is uh, what we call the first belt of municipalities, those directly surrounding Torino. And this is the second belt of the municipality, uh, municipalities surrounding Torino. But you can see there are huge red uh, alert sign on this uh, area. So the first effect of uh, the Fordist era in Torino, again, not originally, is the presence of huge amount of brownfields. Second effect, the demography. Of course, the city grown a lot because of the uh, importance of the industry sector, but decreasing the industry sector, the city lost a lot of population. And now we are becoming a city of less than 0.9 million inhabitants and decreasing. 
the population of the city of, of Torino is decreasing. In part, this is um, uh, in part the municipalities around Torino are increasing the population, but the total amount is still of a decrease of population in the whole metropolitan area. So the population is like of a mid-sized city nowadays in Italy. This is, we, we think, and we still are in terms of population, the fourth city of Italy in terms of dimension of the population. But you know, when you are the fourth city of a nation and you are more than one million inhabitants, it's one thing. When the fourth city of a country is less than 0.9 million inhabitants, it's, um, you know, and, it, and, and it's shrinking, it's more a symptom of a problem, maybe. It's an aging society, as the whole of Italy. Italy and Japan share the um, very interesting uh, record of being the most um, aging societies in the world. Uh, so we have uh, a quarter of population of elderly population and increasing this rate. The aging index is increasing. The median age, 46 and increasing. And what was working until few years ago, that is, we had a lot of foreign population coming to the city, it's now decreasing the rate of foreign population. Because the foreign population, there are less people coming to Torino, and those who already live in Torino, they are leaving the city. Uh, maybe just to go to the bordering neighborhood municipality, but they are leaving the city. So the almost 50% of the population in Torino is of foreign origin. And that's a um, number that increased in 10 years, by the way. In 1990, 1.4% of the population was of foreign origin, and as you can see in 2012, it was 15.6, and now it's decreasing, because in the previous slide it's 14%, um, more or less. Um, the majority of the foreign population of Torino comes from actually inside the European Union, from Romania. Um, and from a specific part of Romania. Again, I, I think that Torino is the most Romanian city outside, um, well, certainly in Italy. Um, and most of the Romanian, Romanian community comes from Bacau, which is in the eastern part of Romania. Then we have a lot of people coming from Morocco, and uh, the number, the population uh, of uh, foreign origin coming from China has really increased. So there are a lot of people coming from China. Declining population, aging population, a lot of brownfields, a lot of problems. Hmm? Um, I, can, I could, of course, add a lot of other descriptions of the situation in Torino. How do you plan to come out of this situation? You cannot trust anymore on a big factory that will help you. That's clear. Fiat is out of uh, the way, they're doing their business, they're doing whatever they want. Um, how do you plan the renaissance of a city? What did the city to plan the renaissance? How to get rid of that post, post-industrial? Three ways, I think, are crucial to understand the case of Torino. Um, the fact that in 1995, the comprehensive plan, the regulatory plan was approved, for the city, that is the land use plan. 
The fact that in the meanwhile, there was a huge amount of urban projects going on. And the fact that more or less in the same years, uh, we started a strategic planning processes in the city. So three different ways to overcome the crisis. The comprehensive plan, the land use plan, why it is relevant. It could be just an instrument of land use regulation, what to do and what not to do in some parts of the city. I think this is not the case of this plan. This has been a crucial part of the change of the city. Um, this is one of the tables that was presented of the representation that was in the original plan, not particularly appealing, but at the, t at the moment it was this kind of representation. What is more interesting is here. The four rivers, the old city. Basically what was doing the plan is saying um, we have to do something with the railway system. We have to do something to uh, with the, the river, especially with the main river, the Po River, which is the longest river in Italy. And we have to do something to overcome the problem of the big highway surrounding the city because it's very crowded and we have to maybe find a way to bypass the highway. So in the uh, full rationale of a land use plan, they did some signs on a map and they somehow decided that there were three axes on which to imagine the future of the city. This was the leisure axis, that is we have to Think of the river as a leisure space where parks can be enhanced. Uh, there were existing parks where we can create a system of parks uh, where people can, can enjoy the view of the river, etc. etc. We have to uh, use better the space that is now occupied by the railway tracks because there was a project of putting the railway underground. And we have to use also the way, um, in a better way, the possibility to have a bypass from the highway system surrounding the, the city. So on this very clear idea, the transformation of the city started because more complex images were created. And basically what they did, what, what they suggested was um, maybe we can rethink of Torino thinking about new spatial fixes of the city. When I say spatial fixes, I refer to what David Harvey terms cause fixes, he's a geographer. That is finding, basically finding ways of um, having everyone with certain power in the city uh, in a position of understanding the future of the city, the future image of the city. So the leisure axis, the railway axis, the railway axis and Corso Marche, Marche Boulevard, that's the name of the bypass. Um, these three axes are on the image that I showed you with the brownfield site. So at least the one regarding the railway, the one in the center, is uh, directly related to the brownfields area. In red, this is a representation from the uh, land use plan of 1995, not easy to read, of course, but there you have um, a clearer version. In red is the railway. In uh, green is the new metro system. The blue dots are the new stations, new and old stations of the new railway system. And in uh, yellow, with the yellow limits, are the biggest brownfield sites to be redeveloped. Um, 
The red part is crucial because the red part is called the central backbone. And the idea of a backbone is because first it was central to the urban uh, fabric. Uh, second, it was mainly, you have to consider like, a, a, it was um, a railway track uh, passing through the city and it was as a river with bridges crossing the railway track. All this river was brought underground and the new boulevard was built on top of the river. It's 13 kilometers of boulevard and 13 kilometers of putting the railway underground. Um, so it would have changed as it, as it did dramatically the image of the city. Plus what is interesting in this land use plan, it doesn't show you a city that looks at the city center. It shows you a city that is connected to the external part of the city, to the metropolitan area. So that's another important thing. This is not a plan meant for Torino, but it's a plan that opens the city to the real uh, urbanized area, the bigger, greater urbanized area. This is the plan. A land use plan can only tell you what to do in certain areas and what not to do in other areas. Uh, if you want to have transformation, you need money, you need the urban projects. The first one was public, uh, public subsidized work, that is the central backbone. So this is an image uh, of the central part of the city um, in the 80s. Uh, this is really the central part of the city. I mean, the, the city center, the historic part of the city is all, all around here, but this is um, Porta Susa station. One of the, that was the second station, now it's the main station in the city center. And you see, you have the railways cutting the city and then you had bridges to go from one part to the other. Um, for a long time, the situation was this one. Public works for not for 13 kilometers, but with uh, parts of the city, uh, one part after the other, it was um, put, uh, they put the railways underground, the rail tracks underground, and they built on top a boulevard. And this is the final, uh, at the beginning, uh, the, the final uh, um, situation. The railway is below that boulevard, and then you have this uh, huge street or boulevard where once was the um, railway. This is the section where you can see um, that the railways are below and on top you have a street. This is how it is now. We had to get used to those white stuff that, that the architect decided to, to put on the boulevard. Um, the architect that the, um, planned this um, wanted this white stuff because they, he told uh, us that um, they uh, remembered him the, um, the train structures, this kind of structures that usually are used for the train. For us, they look like um, port structures, whatever. We started to like it. First, it, they were very debated, but then we started to like it. Also, this kind of uh, huge work in the city was helpful because it, uh, it was um, uh, dotted with a lot of public art. Like this one, you may not like it, but this is public art. It's called the igloo. Um, and, of course, 
creating this kind of system in which the rail tracks are below the ground helped to create a metropolitan system of connection of the different parts of the city. And on top, you have the Porta Susa station. This is the, the modern high-speed train stations. I see some similarities here in Wuj with this kind of stations, uh, of course. And here you see the complicated system of metropolitan, metro system, railway system, and station, etc., etc., etc. This is the inside of the station. This is the metropolitan. So I, I think I have to go quick on this. The metro line. Um, all these things happened in around five years. Hmm? Years of work. But then everything was opened in the same years, especially for the Olympics. In 2006, we had the Winter Olympics. And in 2006, it was like seeing a movie in fast forward mode. People working very fast in the street to complete all the works, etc., etc. Because there was the opening of the Winter Olympics in 2006. So the Metro line inaugurated in 2006. Other examples of what has been done. Uh, this is a picture of the old train repair warehouses, big facilities for the uh, railway system. Um, the first option was to tear them down to get rid of them. The second option was to take them because it was an industrial heritage. The, but then what to do? Uh, the third option was to create a museum, which is not original, but still is the option that won. So a place for exhibition, this place. It's called the OGR, which is in Italian means the repair workshop for the trains. In the same area, and this was financed by a private uh, banking foundation. Hmm? So, in this case, it's not public money. It's the, um, a banking foundation. And this, again, is something that must be said. In Torino, we had a lot of money. There are some figures later on the quantity of money invested in the city from the public sector. But um, we also have two big players, uh, two private banking foundations, which are huge big players in the city because they invest a lot of money in the city. And the private banking foundations are because that we have the headquarters of two of the biggest Italian banks in Torino, shared with Milano, not just in Torino, but still. Um, Along the same boulevard, along the same, close to the museum I showed you before, there is the Politecnico, my university, the main campus, I, I'm in another campus, but the main campus is uh, along this big boulevard and a lot of the buildings that, the, uh, that have been built uh, profited of this central backbone operation. So in this case, you see that the money, again, is not from the public actor, but it's the university, which is another way of saying a public actor, but still a different public actor investing in uh, the renovation of the city, a large part of the city. This picture is interesting because it's the same pictures you took, but without a skyscraper. Uh, if you remember the first the, the, the picture uh, that is for this exhibition, because the skyscrapers was um, again built, uh, uh, designed by Renzo Piano. It's the headquarter of uh, the biggest Italian bank, which originally was in Torino, but then merged with another bank. And so the main headquarters is in Milano, but they still built a skyscraper to left a mark in Torino. There are a lot of people that dislike these skyscrapers. I like it. Um, another kind of intervention along 
the same uh, the same uh, area. Um, 10 millions of square meters. That's why I'm giving you a lot of examples. Um, this area was an area with steel factories that were working for Fiat. So steel factories are quite pollutant productions, okay? Um, but this area was also along one of the four rivers and along the backbone or part of the future backbone, central backbone of the city. What to do with this area? Here the inspiration was the Aiba um, Emscher Park in Germany. That is, let's create a park, but because this is an industrial area, we cannot do a park like with butterflies and green grass and trees, etc., etc., because these are heavily polluted soil. So the solution was, let's make it an industrial park. Let's keep the majority of the industrial buildings and make them as sculptures, basically as a work of art. And where possible, let's create green areas. But of course, it was impossible to create a park as one would expect. And so the whole area became in large part a park uh, with some things that uh, I will show you in a moment. And uh, um, it was a huge investment, partly from the state, partly from the city. Hmm? This is the use that has been uh, done with one of the facilities that was left of the buildings. It, they get rid of the walls, they kept the floor, and now it's used for concerts or for the, for instance, for the final uh, ceremony of the Ramadan every year. It's used for this or for skateboarding, usually. In the same area, the Archbishop of Torino uh, built the new headquarter um, in the same area. As you can see, this is the building I was showing you in the slide before. This is the park and this is the new church, um, factory style. This is actually the only part that is left of the former factory. Part of it became a shopping mall, of course. Um, and part of it, actually the first bit of the regeneration was a public investment for an environment park. It's a technological park. So all the uh, startups and industries that work with environmental issue, they uh, found place in this part of the area. More shopping malls in the same area. In fact, the first one is not doing well because this one is doing well. Um, and housing, private housing, not social housing, with good quality, less good quality, but a lot of housing. That's the last, uh, the newest part of the 13 kilometers that was uh, recently opened. Uh, you can see that it's less, um, it, it's, it's different from the first part because this is post-2008, post-crisis. So they had less money to, 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 to use very fancy things or works of public art. They just put the tarmac on the, on the road and opened the road. All in all, uh, these maps shows the transformation area of the city. And where there is a color, you can see that there are transformations ongoing or already finished. So a huge part of the city has been transformed. As I told you, 5 million square meters already reconverted, 5 million to go still to be reconverted. And here are some figures. The backbone, the central backbone alone was 3, point, well, 3 billion euros investment. The underground railway tracks 
1.2 billion euros. The Lingotto, the gold bar, area requalification, 1 billion euros. The Olympics, just the facilities, 600 million euros. Uh, one third by the city. The underground line, almost one billion euros, one fourth by the city. So you see, there's a lot of money that has been invested in a relatively short amount of time in the city. And it doesn't happen without someone who is able to take everything together. So that's why I say it's crucial that you think that you have the land use plan, the strategic plan, that gives you an idea of how to manage this huge amount of money that is coming to the city. A lot of it is European money, of course, via the national state. But a framework was needed, absolutely. Otherwise, this would have been probably uh, lost, all these efforts. More on private actors. In the meanwhile, while all this was happening, also private actors were involved. But the university were playing a huge role in this. Part of the brownfields or of the areas that were abandoned in terms of use or buildings abandoned have been transformed by the university, which is a crucial actor in the transformation of the city as now. Uh, this is the campus uh, of the University of Torino in a former um, gas. Uh, facility and this is an area that will be developed uh, along the river um, by the Polytechnic of Torino actually this is where I work and this whole area will be used these are basically old exhibition buildings that it's very complicated to use because they are big areas so you don't know what to do with these buildings most of the times they will be reused by the university. So the university is a crucial urban actor and a crucial urban player. They invest a lot of money in the renovation of cities. Either money that they have, because universities are now enterprises, basically, or money that they get from, for instance, in the case of Torino, from the private banks, from, from the private banking foundations. But the public actor also did many things. Uh, while all the transformation was happening in the city, the public actor decided to create a framework for all the urban regeneration projects that were uh, happening in the city. Again, European Union often financed, or maybe once financed, a lot of urban regeneration programs in the city, in European cities. But it's easy that you do something in a neighborhood and you do something else in another neighborhood and you don't coordinate, you don't create a framework for what's happening in different parts of the city. What the city did with not so much money was to create a general framework for all the regeneration processes in the city. In different colors, you see the different funds that have been attracted to the city and there is a general project, it's called the Periphery Special Project, that was organizing all that was happening in these areas, like the renovation of uh, uh, old facilities, or uh, there is a um, big system of um, open-air markets in the city, and this also has been taken into uh, account by the city for the regeneration of the neighborhoods. Uh, this is um, an example of the last, actually, um, typology of uh, regeneration that happened in the north part of this historic center. In the same time, um, the land use, again, and jumping from one instrument to, to another, the land use plan, what, what they did was also, we decided we 
give a new image for the perspective development of the city, so the three axes, but we also um, want to make something about the historic center. Because in a post-industrial city, what is easy that can happen is that you forget that you have an historical heritage, a built heritage. You for tend to forget that you have a history you can rely on for the strategy of revitalization of the city. So they mapped all the historical buildings, they mapped all the potential areas, and they started to think of the transformation of areas, like the areas within uh, close to the central uh, square of the city and the Royal Palace, which basically was treated as a parking lot with cars parked everywhere. And now it's an archaeological park. This is a Roman gate of the city, a real Roman gate of the city that still uh, exists. And they created an archaeological park around this. They created a square around the main church of the city. There was, it was a parking lot. Uh, and the same happened in the, the other um, main square of the city, Piazza San Carlo, uh, which was a parking lot. Again, it was very fashionable. That's another postcard of the 60s. Um, um, it was a parking lot and now it's totally for pedestrian use. This, this is a part of the old city with all these streets that have been partially uh, for, used for pedestrian use and where you have the phenomenon called the movida, all the places where people go and eat and make noises until two or three o'clock in the night. Um, but this is again something that the city sponsored a lot, the condition to create this kind of um, possibility for people to invest and open shops, etc., etc. That's another picture of the city center. And that's another thing that happened in the same years. Everything seems almost to be happening in the same 10 years, I would say 20 years. Um, this is the symbol of the city. It was uh, meant to be a synagogue, never was a synagogue. It was just an empty building and now it's the museum of cinema, the cinema museum. That's the inside. Another thing that was in the city is the Egyptian museum. This is the second collection of Egyptian art outside Egypt, outside Cairo in the world. Um, but it takes money and time to refurbish the museum, to make it better and to exploit um, this kind of cultural offer uh, for the city. Strategic planning, how much do I have? I'll make the best of it, I'll try. Um, land use, urban projects, third component of the strategy to revitalize the city, the strategic planning. So in 1995, you approve a land use plan. In the same years, you manage as coherently as possible very different things that are happening with very different source of funds. It was very complicated, but you try to do that. In the meanwhile, what was uh, happening was that actually it was very complicated to do it only as a municipality. So the mayor of the city, which was a colleague of mine from the Politecnico, um, decided um, to create some, or, or not to create, decided to copy what was happening in Barcelona, in Lyon, in other, in other European cities. That is, let's do a strategic plan. What's a strategic plan? It's basically not um, 
regulatory plan. It's um, a book of dreams that different actors decide that they want to create together, to write together and to sign together. This doesn't mean that they will finance those dreams, but they agree on the vision that comes out of, those, of that book. It's a book of dreams. Um, in 1999, the mayor decided to start, well, before it started, they started uh, with the um, tea ceremonies. Every Wednesday, he used to host someone, some relevant actor in the municipality offices to get some, to have some tea and discuss of the future of the city. Those tea ceremonies became the starting point of the first strategic plan. The strategic plan refers not only to Torino, but to 38 municipalities. Uh, 37 surrounding the municipality of Torino. The model was that of uh, Barcelona and Lyon and Glasgow and other cities in Europe that had uh, um, adopted strategic planning processes. And uh, we had three different plans, strategic plans. The first one in 2000, the other one in 2006, the year of the Olympic Games, and the last one to which I took personally part in 2015. Each with a different characteristic. For instance, as I told you, the Book of Dreams, what was the first dream that they had in 2000? Um, we need, that's what, that was a dream, to promote the city at the international level. We need to put Torino back on the map. Torino was not on the map. It was on the map for Juve, Juventus. It was on the map for Fiat. Mm. Not much than that. So the strategy was we need to make Torino known. We have the second biggest Egyptian collection of art in the world. Why is it not known? We are the home of Nutella. Why is it not known? We, are, uh, we have good food, good wines, etc., etc., etc. This is impossible. We cannot just rely on fiat because fiat is gone. Um, so we need to put back Torino on the map. Um, and the map was that of the a metropolitan area. That was the first dream. In the second plan, less ambitious, I would say, let's make of Torino a knowledge, uh, a hub for the knowledge economy. Not so original, not so ambitious. Everybody was doing this. Uh, and in fact, the second strategic plan was not so successful. The third plan, 2006 Olympics, 2008, we shared the same uh, problem. 2008 is the beginning of the global crisis. So in 2015, taking into account the huge problems of the global economic crisis, the, the third plan was designed to, to have really a metropolitan view of the future of the city and uh, described Torino as the city of opportunities. It's a bit obscure, I would say. In terms of communication, the first one was certainly the most powerful instrument. Also because it created a community or it made visible a community because Torino is an elite-centred uh, city. We have a lot of very important actors. It's a, a I would say, a small city and um, we can call it an elite model uh, of governance city. There are also publications dealing with that. So the strategic planning was an inclusive process, including people from the elite, not including in terms of the participation, etc., etc. Thematic issue. The first plan was focusing on the internationalization. Well, I can skip this and also this one. Uh, but I will like to, arrive, to, to, to 
to come as close as possible to nowadays. And I will start with this. Um, in 2014, the national government, because of budget issues, decided that the Italian system needed metropolitan cities. Uh, so they created metropolitan cities without asking metropolitan cities if they wanted to become metropolitan cities. And the, big, the easiest way for a national government to create a metropolitan city without paying too much attention, you take another box that's existing and you label it metropolitan city. So that, that was the problem. In Torino, the metropolitan city was the former province. The province of Torino is one of the biggest in Italy. It has 316 municipalities. It goes from the city of Torino to the Alps, bordering with France. So you can imagine that's the metropolitan city, according to the government. The fact is that you have to deal with this new level of government hmm? in 2014. So the third strategic plan actually was finished when this huge change came, and so it made almost no impact on the city. This is the municipality of Torino, these are the 38 municipalities, and this is the area in the wider metropolitan city of Torino. The positive thing of um, that is that you can go ski in the metropolitan city of Torino. Um, so, this is a big problem because it created a, a level of complication uh, um, uh, complexification in, in the way the strategies of the city were going to happen. In a moment in which, anyway, at this level, there was still a metropolitan um, city existing. But I, when I say city, I, see, I mean a real city existing because of the metropolitan system of public transport, because of the metropolitan system of rivers and parks, uh, around the city of Torino because of the metropolitan system of the cultural system as a cultural system because if you google Torino if you want to know what to do in Torino in terms of museums one of the biggest suggestions they will give to you that will be given to you is uh, to go and visit a, a royal palace which is not actually in Torino it's in the metropolitan area of Torino so the metropolitan area was already taking shape and then the national government decided it had another shape bigger one what is happening now? In this situation, so, global economic crisis, a lot of things that has been done in the past years, um, the national reform for metropolitan cities, also the change in the local administration. For 20 years, for those 20 years, the administration of the city was of the same political color, center-left. Because of the populist moment we're living in Italy, in uh, two years ago, the new mayor is a young um, mayor, and uh, she's of the five-star movement. And what's happening now is that they don't know what to do, um, basically. Um, so we are a bit stuck in, in a limbo of uh, things that happened in the past. So there is a post-industrial past, there is a post excitement past and now we are in a moment in which we don't know what, what's going on in the future uh, we know that they want to uh, change the land use plan we don't have enough money to make a new one because to do land use plan is very expensive so they want to just modify the existing plan and they make a public consultations website this one is just in italian sorry Mm, because you know the new the new uh, way to do things is to you ask citizens to modify the plan themselves. 
Um, and in the meanwhile, this is what uh, they, they are in, uh, thinking. And in the meanwhile, um, they are also opening for business the city. That's the last word and also almost the last slide of my presentation. They are opening for business the city. But what does it mean opening for business the city? They are making maps in which they tell you where you can find empty spaces to do something in. That's a very low-key strategy to reuse the remaining 5 million square meters of brownfields. Uh, and that's a very dangerous strategy because there is no strategy behind. So basically, as long as you have money, you can come and you can invest in Torino. An example of this, very relevant also for you. There is a map of the area open for business for the university system. That is, dear university student uh, um, uh, investor, people that want to create a new student residence. Do you want to invest in Torino? We give you the map of the places where you can put your new university residences. Hmm? Uh, and again, where is the strategy behind this? Finally, some reflections from the case of Torino. First, unwritten reflection. Let's stop using post-industrial. Um, at least in the case of Torino. I don't know in the case of Butch. In the case of Torino, yes, let's stop. Um, the city of Torino was an elite-driven society. There was an elite deciding what to do in the city. Successfully, I would say, for 20 years. What will happen now that the elite is bad? Hmm? Bad. Um, New urban models, we are in a moment in which the smart city, smart urbanism, resilient city, slow city, we have a lot of slogans and models of uh, how city can reshape their future, but uh, they are quickly changing. Every two or three years there is, an, there is a new one. So how can we use, how can we reflect on effectively some new urban models of development? Plus there are new urban growth models um, there is the desire to work towards a creative city, a cultural uh, appealing city, a, uh, to work to make uh, strong niche economies. What does it really mean? For instance, in, in, in a post-industrial city where you have a lot of spaces for new industrial production, can you use the same buildings for the new way of producing things? I'm not so sure because you need different spaces. So the problem is still there. Um, in the case of Torino, but I, I'd say it's everywhere, you need to understand better in a new way the urban-rural interface, the sprawl and the metropolitan dimension. It doesn't make sense to think about Torino as a city of 0.9 million inhabitants. You have to think of the whole metropolitan city. Hmm? And so there is a need to upsize to another level. It's not just downsizing and shrinking. Something that is shrinking means that it's simply changing. It's adapting. You need to think to what it is adapting. So it's a method of, in the case of Torino, in many cases, upsizing the city, not just downsizing and thinking of a shrinking city and a shrinking population. Hope I wrote it correctly.